Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the, and there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. Well, I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune, and ND Insider. This is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to the long overdue edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined from Texas by Carter Carls. Together, we cover Notre Dame football and recruiting for ND Insider in the South Bend Tribune. Hopefully, you have missed us and noticed the lack of our presence. We apologize for being long, gone for so long. Um, we do not have any kind of call her daddy drama going on, but it's uh, been hard to get us together for a podcast while we're rotating through some furloughs and operating without our former producer, Santiago Flores, who was unfortunately laid off recently. Um, Santiago or Chago, as we call them, he was the man that made us sound professional. So please bear with us if uh, we don't sound as good currently uh, and, and we work out the kinks of a new operations um, Eric Hansen is currently on furlough this week, but he'll be back on the podcast soon. So don't worry. Um, Eric will return. Um, but we have plenty of topics that we can discuss this week. Um, and I wanted to get some of that information to you guys. So you understood why we were gone and hopefully we will start recording at a more frequent, uh, um, occurrence, uh, moving forward. Um, first thing I wanted to talk about Carter was, uh, the latest news from Wednesday night that the NCAA has extended its dead period all the way through the, uh, end of July. Uh, do you think this is the right decision and how much of this uh, and the reaction, or I guess the actions that the NCAA has taken in terms of extending this dead period from March now to the end of J- July has hurt Notre Dame in this recruiting cycle? I'm curious to see what college coaches think about it because I kind of understand the concern with you're bringing a lot of players back in June. A lot of different colleges are, you, you might have to quarantine them. You might have to do a lot of, you know, really high-end stuff to take precautions. And then adding recruits into the mix maybe screws everything up or makes it way more difficult. Um, So I would understand if that was the concern. But if it wasn't the concern, you know, it's just – it seems just a little premature. You know, we're not even in the month of June yet, and they have wiped out all of July. Um, I know recruits are very upset with it. They want to get on campus – uh, maybe there's a way they can do it in a safe way, but I just think uh, there are so many unknowns right now. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, do you think doing it at this stage is premature? I would think that you would maybe wait a couple more weeks before you make that decision and see what it's like when you have players on campus. But maybe maybe this is something that college coaches, you know, went to the NCAA and said, hey, I don't know how we're going to be handling 
athletes coming back, coaches coming back, and then all of a sudden we're going to have recruits coming on campus. All of that at once might be too difficult. Yeah, I think it's, it's tough to say. I mean, there was already going to be a dead period. I mean, if given if it stayed on the normal calendar from late June to into July, I believe, uh, if it's still as similar to how it was when I was covering recruiting. But so there was, I mean, this isn't technically all of a new dead period. They're just saying, Hey, let's just, let's just block this out to through the end of July and then we'll figure it out from there. I, I don't have too big of a problem with it. I think it's good to kind of put everyone on the same ground. I, I think even if it were to open up, Notre Dame is sort of at a disadvantage because a lot of their kids would be coming in from farther distances and it's not, it, that might be, there might be less likely that kids would, would make those trips um, than say to make to, to their local state schools or stuff like that. So um, I think it levels the playing field a bit and allows um, everyone to kind of get a handle on their own situations before they have to kind of get a grasp of what they're going to do with, with visitors on campus. I know it's different at different levels of, of uh, the, uh, the NCAA. Like I think even division three, they're letting kids go onto campuses and stuff, um, but only like a few at a time. But um, I think the next step now is I think the NCAA has to cancel the early signing period. Um, they, the, the whole like, if, there, if this early signing period was going to happen, it was under the premise that early official visits would happen, and essentially those weren't allowed to happen at all um, this year. So um, I think that they should move that back. And even though the early signing period is um, optional, um, it doesn't really operate that way. Most kids sign during December because the schools expect them to sign during December, and I think there's just an ad- there's more of a chance that the unnecessary pressure would be added to those kids to have to sign or decide by December when they probably need as much as the calendar, uh, the recruiting cycle as possible to, to make their decision. And I'll just add that what this does now. Yeah, you're right. There's only really one week in July that they could have taken visits. Um, and really it was only to college campuses coaches during that time. I don't believe could, uh, could, could go out and see them. Right. Um, and then August is already typically all wiped out and that's when their high school practices start. So August isn't a good visiting month either. So in theory now, unless there's some big change made, recruits cannot visit campuses until September uh, for games. So yeah, there, there are no, uh, all early official visit season has been uh, wiped out completely. Yeah. And uh, there's actually a, a, An interesting visit recently in Tristan Bounds, an offensive line recruit, he made a campus visit to Notre Dame earlier this month, um, but did so without any contact with the staff because it's not it's not against the rules for a kid to technically visit a school. It's uh, against the rules for the, the coaching staff and the staffs at the schools to, co- to contact recruits while they're on their campus. So there was a bit of a loophole that they exposed there. Um, what did you um, think of that? Do you think more recruits will consider doing this? And uh, is this something that Notre Dame should – um, continue to encourage. Yeah, and I mean, it would be just the same as you or me visiting campus. We can walk on campus. It's legal right. to walk around. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the what you're not getting is the academics meeting, meeting coaches, players. You can't even go into buildings. He can't walk in an Notre Dame stadium and look at it. He can only see from the outside. But I do think it's brilliant, and I do think it's valuable because if you've never seen the campus before – I mean, just seeing it alone is better than where you already were at. Um, and th- there are some kids where it has worked out. Jason Anye had never visited Notre Dame. Philip Riley had never visited Notre Dame. Both committed to Notre Dame 
because of this, but not everyone is like them. Uh, Tristan Bounds, he did not want to commit to a school until he had seen it. And now he has seen Notre Dame. Um, they are already getting a lot of contact from coaches. They're getting meetings with the academics advisors. Everything you would do on an official visit from a communicative standpoint, they were doing. And so really just seeing the campus is kind of the missing aspect. Now, yeah, they won't see the practice fields. They won't go inside the stadium. But, you know, I think just seeing the campus alone is better than sitting on your couch, right? I mean, so if, if there's a safe way to do it, you know, you, you don't want to have 20 kids on campus at once um, not taking precautions. But if, yeah, you're filtering a couple guys a day, what, what makes – what I've been wondering is, you know, there's a couple local guys that are committed to Notre Dame. Pat Coogan, Justin Walters, both Illinois guys, and then Blake Fisher in Indiana. What is stopping them from coming to campus and kind of playing host or guest to visiting recruits? Now, maybe Notre Dame wouldn't like that idea, but it's something to consider and explore uh, if you can find it in a safe way because those guys know the layout of campus. They've been multiple times, and they would be able to kind of serve as a tour guide and meet some of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm in the other camp. I think unless a kid is dead set on making a decision before the end of July, or I guess even, I guess, before September, because that's what realistically when we think that it would even be possible for workers to visit unless something changes, um, I would tell them to stay home and save their money for to, to make a visit at a different time. I think, yes, seeing campus helps, but I think, I mean, a lot of what you're going to see on campus is stuff you can just see in photographs. Um, I think what makes a campus special and I think what a lot of people sense out of the visits to Notre Dame and something that we'll hear Michael Mayer talk about later in this podcast is that you kind of get a sense for the people in the community when you make these visits and you're not going to get that if you come on campus now. You, I mean, there's no one around. It's just, it's just empty, empty buildings that you can see the outside of. Um, so yeah, I mean, you get a sense for the architecture. It, it feels more, I mean, it feels more realistic, obviously, to kind of experience it in person and understand the scale and stuff like that. And I guess you get a sense for the town around, although the town around isn't necessarily as bustling as it would normally be, especially during a football season. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I just think, I don't know. I think if you could convince a kid to make sure he's not going to decide soon, then I would tell him to wait. I, I just feel like you're not going to get the full picture that you could get out on a Notre Dame visit. Um, and then if this is going to, if this is going to, be the only visit a kid makes. I don't think you want that to happen. I think I, I would imagine if this is going to happen, the coaching staff would hope that he actually returns for a time when they can actually interact with him and show him what the campus is it really like. But um, it's tough to figure out. I don't know how a coach can navigate that. I would, I would sort of tend to discourage kids to do that. But I mean, you don't want to scare kids away either. So like you don't, you can tell them well, you can do what you want, obviously. But um, I, I'm not sure how how much it would help Notre Dame for kids to come on campus without a, a tour and a sense of what it's like um, under normal circumstances. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think you should be pressuring kids from Southern California to, to make the trip. You shouldn't be pressuring anyone really. It's right. just more of, you know, maybe present the option and if they're gung ho about it, why, why not? I mean, if a kid that's a four hour drive away just wants to come and see campus um, what happened with Tristan was that's what he wanted to do. It was something that 
he decided on his own. Right. And then Notre Dame just gave him a, a campus map. And so, yeah, I mean, you don't want to force it on anyone, but maybe just present the option and, and see what they think. All right. Speaking of the 2021 class, it seems like there's a, a possibility that Notre Dame could lose uh, defensive end commit David Abiara. What's uh, the latest news there that you can kind of share with us? Well, rumbling started a couple weeks ago, but this, I mean, this has really been in the making since he committed to Notre Dame. And that's because he, he kind of had some reservations when he committed to Notre Dame. His thought was, I really want to be on campus one more time. I want to meet the guys. I want to meet the players. He had been planning to visit for the March 20th weekend where all the top targets and commits were going to be there. Julian Aquara had planned to be there. A fellow Nigerian defensive end who's, you know, now in the NFL. So his plan was, I want to be there and, and get a sense of the culture. And, and if I feel like I am, you know, a part of, like I fit in well, then I'll commit. That visit got canceled. He thought about it for a few days and just ended up committing. Um, and then he didn't cease communication with Oklahoma. That was his favorite school before Notre Dame came by. And, and so Oklahoma has always kind of lingered in his mind and he's always kind of been thinking, uh, well, maybe that was a premature decision. Now, you know, the writing's kind of on the wall. The communication hasn't been there between him and the commits uh, and the coaches. That's usually an indication that something's wrong. Then he's talking with OU's coaching staff quite a bit. Um, it's curious that he has not made a decision yet with all the rumblings that are out there. But to me, it's only a matter of time before he decommits and goes to Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think he announced that he got a Texas offer, I think, recently too. Is that right? He did, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, we'll see how much Texas is involved. But to me, it's Oklahoma. To me, he, he has communicated with people around him that he wants to stay close to home. That has been a trend with some recruits during this pandemic. It's, okay, I guess I want to stay home and be closer to family during this right. chaos. So definitely could see um, – Texas being involved, but to me right now, it's Oklahoma. That's also where his head coach at Mansfield Legacy played at, so he's got a lot of ties there. Yeah, the, the Texas thing was of note to me a lot. One, he's from Texas, but also that sometimes, like, commits will get offers, but they just won't sit, report them. Like, they could still be in touch with schools, and schools might be offering them, but they're not necessarily going to tweet out that they just got an offer from another school um, if they're already committed to, to, to one and firmly committed to them. So that made me think, well, maybe maybe – um, he's not as firm in his pledge as, as Notre Dame would hope. And um, I think even though he's only a three-star recruit, it would be a real loss to the class. I think uh, Tom Lemming was very high on his upside. I think um, certainly there is reason to believe that Mike Elston um, will be able to sort things out and find another quality defensive end um, if needed. Um, but this uh, the potential of losing a defensive end in David Abiara is certainly um, – isn't the kind of momentum Notre Dame wants to build during this time and has had um, some issues with trying to figure out how to navigate that. They've had some successes and some, some, some missteps here um, in the last few months. And um, I imagine more than anyone, Notre Dame's coaching staff really wants to get things back to normal as much as possible because it seems to have really impacted the recruiting cycle for them. I uh, saw uh, Wednesday night that a defensive end, Kashawn Bennett, uh, who's a four-star on rivals and a three-star according to 24 seven sports, 
Um, he committed to Michigan. That was a day after he announced a top six that included Notre Dame. Um, was Notre Dame that involved with Bennett? Was that a surprise that he was going to go to Michigan soon after announcing that top six? Notre Dame was very involved with him and high on his radar up until March. And then it became clear to them that their top three guys, Gabriel Rubio, David Abiara, and Jason Onyeh on the defensive line, really in late March it became clear that all three of those guys were going to be in the class. They only wanted those three guys if, if those were the three guys that they were going to get. No more than three, but – you know, so they, they stopped talking and communicating as much with Kashawn Bennett, Aaron Armitage, guys that very well could have landed at Notre Dame. Talk with Kashawn Bennett this week. Yeah, he said he hadn't heard much from Notre Dame the last couple months. Aaron Armitage hadn't heard much from Notre Dame. Now he's expected to land at USC. Um, and Aaron Armitage is someone who I'm fully confident would be in Notre Dame's recruiting class right now had they pushed for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a guy I thought would commit when he got offered by Notre Dame in December. So, yeah, now they're going to have to revisit. Uh, they've already extended an offer to TJ Ballers, uh, a guy in the 2021 class, the defensive end position. Notre Dame knows that Abiara is on thin ice. Uh, Got to have some confidence for defensive line coach Mike Elston. You know, uh, Back in December, there weren't a lot of defensive end options. Then he offered a buttload of defensive ends, and <laughs> all of a sudden, David Abiara and Jason Onye are, are coming into your class. So I fully expect him to rebound from this. Uh, he's certainly been one of the best uh, recruiters and, and best developers on this staff. So, um, But who that third guy will be, I think it's going to be a newly offered guy. I think you're going to have Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, and a guy that maybe hasn't been offered yet by Notre Dame. Um, and, and speaking of Michigan, you, you, you notice that there's been a little bit of a trend between some Michigan and Notre Dame uh, uh, recruits as of late. Yeah, it's, it's almost getting comical. You look at uh, – I'll just rattle them off. J.J. McCarthy, he was a guy that would have chopped his arm off to land at Notre Dame. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, Keyshawn Bennett. He was a guy that Notre Dame really liked and then cooled off on. Uh, with McCarthy, they cooled off on him and picked Tyler Buckner over him. Uh, Rod Moore, a safety, he committed to Michigan. I don't know, you know, he was kind of a top target early on, but I think Notre Dame kind of cooled off on him. Then you got George Rooks, defensive tackle, who you know, I, I mentioned Notre Dame had their preferred trio and they hadn't really talked to him as much. He's crystal balled by a lot of guys to go to Michigan. Uh, that, that's kind of the forecast right now. So not that that's a horrible thing for Michigan. I mean, J.J. McCarthy is a, a five-star quarterback. I believe they're the number four class uh, on rivals. So these are not scrubs, but it's interesting to see Notre Dame pass on some of these guys when, you know, they're, they're pretty top prospects. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, Keyshawn Bennett, Rod Moore – George Brooks, none of those guys are really scrubs, so it will be interesting to see how their careers panned out. I imagine some of the lament that we've heard from Notre Dame fans about this recruiting cycle has become a disaster and all that stuff. If they had the, if they had the guys that are in Michigan's class, I wonder if they would be saying the same thing, where it seems like Notre Dame might not be that, that uh, crazy about some of the guys that are in Michigan's class, so that's kind of interesting. It's almost like an alternate reality version of Notre Dame's recruiting class, and it'll be certainly fascinating to track how the 
careers of those guys pan out at Michigan. I forgot about Greg Crippen too. Um, yeah, of course. Who was committed to Notre Dame. Right. And what a weird recruitment that was. Um, and they basically didn't really want him anymore. And then all of a sudden <laughs> now he's at Michigan. Well, on the, on the football side of things, the biggest news in recent weeks was the addition of grad transfer uh, cornerback Nick McLeod out of NC State. Um, bring some uh, experience to the position. Missed some time last year with a knee injury. Um, but that allowed him to preserve a fifth year. Um, and uh, he's chosen to, to pursue that at Notre Dame. Um, certainly brings depth to a position of need for Notre Dame when you talk about the lack of experience there. He actually has more playing experience than either Sean, Sean Crawford or Shariq Bracey, so he becomes the most experienced cornerback on the roster for Notre Dame with, uh, after Crawford and Bracey, you got a bunch of uh, incoming freshmen, early enrolled freshmen, or redshirt freshmen, so not much uh, in the way of experience there. Um, has played in Notre Dame Stadium before, although he told me that he didn't remember much about it other than being <laughs> it being the coldest game he'd ever played in. Um, so I told him he needs to get ready for more of that cold weather if he's going to be here at Notre Dame for the long haul. So we will uh, – I, I think that is going to – he has a chance to make a real impact on this team this year, and I know that um, that's something that Notre Dame has had some issues with in terms of who they sign or who they add in terms of grad transfers. A lot of the grad transfers that have come to Notre Dame haven't really – hand out in, in meaningful ways. And probably the most successful was a cornerback, coincidentally enough, and Cody Riggs. And maybe um, Nick McLeod can have a similar type of success uh, as Cody did. Yeah, I look at it from the perspective of, look what Mike Mickens, cornerback's coach, has done. I know Terry Joseph, the defensive pass game coordinator, was involved too. But right. in his three months on campus, he's dealing with a pandemic, no visits, and yet he has gotten a, a guy that seems to be plug-and-play in Nick McLeod with, with some experience. Then you got Philip Riley, who, to me, I think Tyler Buckner's the best in this recruiting class. I think Philip Riley's number two. I'm really that high on him. Um, and he's just not the, the caliber of player that Todd Light could recruit at uh, as much um, when he was at Notre Dame. And so to do that – within your first three months. Now he's in a really good position with Ryan Barnes. Um, just really high on Mike Mickens. I think he's already proven himself to be, uh, at least at this stage, one of the best recruiters on the staff. We'll see just where he ranks here in the, in the coming months. But, man, it's, it's been an ideal start for him for sure. Yeah, the next sort of thing on the, the football calendar radar is sort of when – Notre Dame can reconvene on campus and get players back on campus and start doing some workouts and stuff. And um, there has been some reporting by Tim Priester of Irish Illustrated that Notre Dame is targeting June 6 as the time that it wants to start getting some football players back on campus. Um, I, that could be true. And I, I wouldn't say that we, we are refuting that in any way necessarily, but we haven't been able to confirm that. Um, it doesn't seem like it's been communicated in that way to all of Notre Dame's players or the families of, of players. Um, so it, it, it seems like all this is very fluid. So I'm not sure that there's going to be a, a drop. Well, there'll probably be a date where everyone needs to be on campus by, but I don't think everyone's going to be on campus at the same time all one weekend or anything like that. That would be a bit surprising to me. Um, it's my understanding that there actually have been some players, um, but not a lot that have already come back to South Bend and have been living in their off-campus housing um, and working out on their own and that kind of thing. So they're, ready whenever they can be on back on campus um, and when Notre Dame can sort of integrate them into activities. 
Um, and we'll certainly continue to keep an eye on how all that develops. I think everything, like I mentioned, it's pretty fluid and can kind of change by the day or the hour. I think I can't imagine being in charge of organizing all of this. It's got to be a, a logistical nightmare, but um, there's certainly, it seems like working on trying to figure out a plan here to get things um, moving in the right direction at least. All right, well now we're going to be joined by incoming freshman tight end Michael Mayer. He was kind enough to spend some time with us earlier today and here's that interview. Now we're happy to welcome incoming freshman tight end Michael Mayer onto the podcast. Michael, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, just to start, Michael, can you kind of catch us up with how things have been going for you? What was the, the end of your uh, last semester of high school like and what have you been doing to get ready to come to Notre Dame? Yeah, um, virtual graduation, that type of thing. Um, obviously, something you look forward to is graduating high school, um, celebrating with your buddies, um, having the graduation and all that. But um, it is what it is. Um, I've been training a lot, um, getting my mind right, learning the offense, a um, bunch of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to get up there, and, and hopefully it's sooner than later for sure. Michael, what, what does training look like now? Do you have, uh, you know, kind of weights at your house? Do you go to a field, body weight training? What, what's available to you uh, to, to train every day? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Um, I got a good buddy of mine. He's got a big weight room in his basement. Um, he, he's, he's letting me in there, my older brother who plays football, man, in Ohio. We've been going over there, and uh, we've been able to lift there whenever we want. And uh, I also, I've been pretty lucky. I got a high school field right up the street. Um, not the high school I went to, but um, the high school field, he stayed open. And uh, my brother's a quarterback, which is awesome, really nice for me. And he's been able to throw balls to me, and we've been able to go up there and run and stuff too. So um, I've been pretty set um, in this in this little quarantine era. I've been I've been able to, you know, lift and, and still run, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. What What do you know about when when you'll be on campus in Notre Dame? When you'll be starting on online classes? What? How, can you kind of uh, yeah hear what you know about all that stuff? Yeah, they uh, they haven't really given us a set date of when we'll get up there, but um, whether we're there or not, um, June I think 15th is uh, when online class starts. Um, we're taking uh, some credits in the summer there, and, and that'll be all online whether we're at school or not. And um, so I'm, I'm excited about that, too, um, get some credits under my belt, um, start kind of getting back in the routine of kind of studying and stuff and academics and football and kind of mix it together. And, uh, you know, great summer. I remember you thought about early enrolling and then just kind of backed out last minute. And then and then you chose not to play basketball to kind of focus more on just your last semester and football and academics. How do you feel like that semester home and, and just focusing more on football helped you? In what ways did it, did it maybe make you a, a better football player? Yeah, I think um, when the football season ended, obviously we won the state championship. And uh, I think that that's around there is when I started, decided I didn't want to early enroll. And um, I, I knew I wanted to focus on weight training, focus on um, getting better shape, focus on gaining some weight. Um, I think the end of the football season, I was like uh, 237. I think I'm 245 right now, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. And, um, you know, I've just been really focusing on myself and focusing on training and, uh, you know, family time and stuff like that. And um, maybe it was a little bit of a gift because, I mean, they all came – all the early enrolls came home um, when all this stuff happened anyway. So maybe it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. But um, I think I made the right decision, and it was best – it was what is best for me. 
Michael, what kind of communication have you had with new tight ends coach John McNulty? Has he been able to kind of walk you through some some teaching points and stuff uh, from afar? Yes, sir. Um, me and Kevin have uh, been have been meeting with him big time um, on Zoom calls and stuff like that. And um, we're putting in the offense. Um, we're putting in some big time plays. And me and Kevin are uh, really, really excited about what, what, what's going to happen when we get up there. And um, we're excited for him. He's a great guy, great coach. And uh, I'm just really pumped up about the whole thing. Michael, you you had really an eventful past year. You, you win MVP on the seven on seven portion of the opening finals. You you win your second state championship. You're the Gatorade Player of the Year. You score a touchdown at the All American Bowl. You know what what do you feel like is next for you? What do you feel like this year will be for Michael Mayer this season uh, when it happens? Yeah, I think uh, for me. Um, Biggest thing for me is going into anything, whether it's a camp, a practice, um, a game, and just trying my best to do what I can. Um, I think I'm going to go into the season with the mindset of, um, you know, obviously I want to play. I want to have playing time. I want to catch touchdowns and things like that. And um, I'm going to do everything in my power to uh, make that happen. Michael, do you think that sort of the the current circumstances change your expectations at all? Maybe not being able to get in front of the coaches as early as you would in, in June uh, previously or, or be a part of different kind of workouts in person that you may have been able to take part in? Do you think that changes your expectations at all? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think if anything, it um, kind of helps a little bit because if they were still in or they're out now, but we've been putting in the offense for a while now. And um, I think in the last couple months, um, I wouldn't really have had that opportunity to learn the offense that early and um, me with the coaches and things like that. And um, I probably still wouldn't even be, you know, winning offense right now if, if all this wasn't going on. So I'm really pumped up about, um, you know, kind of having a head start right when I get there of knowing the offense and, and stuff like that. Notre Dame uses so many tight ends in their offense. I think, I think one touchdown last year that was scored had four or five tight ends on the field. I believe it was four. And um, I'm just wondering – you know, it's probably not an unrealistic expectation to think that you can be on the field and contribute. But what about being a starter, being a featured guy? Do you feel like that's realistic for you? Do you think that's something you can do in year one? Yeah, I think I definitely set myself um, to that high of an expectation. Um, like I said before, I'm, I'm going to come in and try to play as much as I can and try to learn as much of the offense as I can and uh, try to do what's best for the team. And, you know, if, if that's not playing, then it is what it is. But uh, I'm just going to try my best to uh, do what I can. Michael, what what, do you, what would you say it is about your game that you feels like would make you a, a college-ready player so so early on in, in the process? Do you feel like you have certain aspects to your game or you're mature in certain ways that maybe other guys aren't that would allow you to play as a freshman? Yeah, I think it's uh, – number one, I think it's my mentality. Um, you know, uh, going into a game, I always have that mentality that, uh, you know, visualizing myself, um, catching touchdowns, making the pancake block for the running back to score a touchdown and um, things like that. And also I think it's the just the combination of, you know, blocking, um, my route running, uh, my hands, things like that. I think my overall game um, could help the team out as well. What will life as a tight end and just what will it look like schematically under new offensive coordinator Tommy Reese? If, is it different than what it was last year and – what, what what do you think it kind of will look like? Yeah, that was a that was a, I mean honestly that was one of my first questions when um Coach Long got fired is you know what what's going to happen to the offense? Are we still going to use tight ends as much? 
um, stuff like that. And um, I think uh, there's a few little, I mean, few little changes, but um, the offense, I think it's going to stay for the most part the same. I'm um, still going to use one, two, three, four tight ends um, and uh, try to win some ball games. Michael, this incoming freshman class that you are in has some really talented offensive players around you. I mean, you were one of the top tight ends Notre Dame has signed in a while. Jordan Johnson was one of the top receivers that had signed in a while. Chris Tyree is one of the top running backs that had signed in a while. How much pride do you have in coming in with a class like that and being able to kind of uh, all of you maybe find some roles for yourselves early on as freshmen? Yeah, I think it's important to us, um, the whole class really, to come in and um, find your role and play your role right away, um, whether it be, you know, practice player or, you know, starter or whatever. Um, our class is a really great class. I'm really pumped up about everyone that's in this class. Um, we're already all pretty tight, and uh, we're all really just excited and ready to get up. Michael, I remember – talking with you at the opening and and your kind of your message was I think people have been asking you hey don't don't you feel like you want to prove that you're the top tight end in the class and and you, you felt like you didn't need to prove anything that that your game spoke for itself and that what you did at the camp and, and all those camps spoke for itself but for I guess when you come to campus at Notre Dame in that fall camp that preseason camp what do you feel like you are going to have to prove? What part of your game or maybe understanding of the playbook will be the challenge that you'll need to prove to the coaches that you've, you've got nailed down? Yeah, I think the number one thing I'm going to have to prove to the coaches is knowing my plays, um, memorizing the playbooks, things like that. I think that's one of the biggest things coming in as a freshman is, um, you know, knowing where you're going to be, knowing the formation and things like that. Because then after that, it, everything flows. Um, you get in the rhythm of the game and, um, you know, the formations, you know, the plays. Um, you know, you just get in the rhythm with football and you, you catch, you block. It's it, You're not really thinking. Once you get past the part of like uh, thinking, 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 and you're just playing football, then I think uh, that's that's the first thing I need to do. Michael, I'm curious if you spent any time wondering how you would have handled this current situation if you were still a recruit, like if this was going into your senior year rather than coming out of your senior year. Uh, how do you think you would have sort of – navigated the recruiting process under these current circumstances and how, uh, I guess, just how much did the, the campus visits that you were allowed to make as a recruit sort of impact what led to your decision? Yeah, I think, um, I think that the campus visits are huge. Um, honestly, I don't really think I would, I don't know what I've been doing. Uh, probably just uh, zooming on the coaches, um, maybe virtual tour of the campus or something like that. I don't know. Um, but thankfully I, uh, you know, Got to take two visits my sophomore year and then obviously committed pretty early. And um, I'm thankful for that. I'm really thankful. I would love for you to tell us the story about, I think either you thought about quitting football or you didn't want to try out for the team. Maybe it was your freshman year. It's just yeah. it's kind of crazy to think about where you are now and to think just three or four years ago, football wasn't even really a thing uh, in your mind. So, yeah, can you tell us that story? Yeah, so um, this was, this was uh, summer going into freshman year. Um, I was a big basketball player. Um, I was not particularly skinny, but um, not as big as I am now, obviously. But I, uh, I loved basketball. I wanted to play basketball in college. And uh, so I decided I wasn't going to play football in high school. I was just going to play baseball and uh, basketball. And uh, I, was, I was sitting at the pool with uh, my friends one summer day. It was like 2 or 3 o'clock. And I remember getting a call from uh, – just a random number and I picked it up and it was like this really, really deep voice. He was like, Michael. I was like, yes, sir. What's up? And he's like, this is the freshman coach, blah, 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 of Cuff Gath. Like, 
I'm 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 kind of making you come out for the team. Like I'm going to make you play freshman football. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll talk about it with my parents tonight. And uh, I talked with them and uh, I decided to play and obviously made an impact on the freshman team right away. And uh, that's that's one of my biggest, uh, you know, supporters um, right there is the freshman football coach. And um, he's been with me the whole way. Um, I, the year after I stopped, he um, he stopped. I mean, the year after my freshman year, he stopped coaching freshman football. And um, he actually became a resource officer for the school. So I would see him, you know, every single day standing out the doors and say hi to him and always catch up with him. And he's definitely a big role, role model for me. And um, honestly, I, I don't know if I'd be, you know, sitting here with you guys right now if uh, he never gave me that call. So it's, that's a really neat story for me. Yeah, that's cool, Michael. I'm curious, you talked about how important your visits to Notre Dame were. Is there a specific visit that was the most memorable for you? I think um, I think it was my first visit. Um, I never really understood um, how, how beautiful the campus was and, and how amazing the people there were. Um, the, the, I always tell people this, the, the number one thing that kind of stood out to me with Notre Dame is um, how down to earth all the people were. Um, just even walking around the campus, everyone saying hi, or if they know you're a recruit, they walk up to you and shake your hand or, or stuff like that. And um, that was definitely the one thing that stood out to me. And wasn't it Miami, Ohio, 2017? And, and you were there for your older brother, AJ, right? It wasn't yes, really much of a, hey, Notre Dame wants me here kind of thing. It was more no. you visiting, right? And, and I mean, do you remember even talking to the coaches that much back then? Well, I, I think I was a I was a freshman, maybe, or I, yeah, I wasn't even getting recruited yet. Um, obviously, my brother was there for the Miami game, and uh, it was kind of neat because uh, being able to go to a game at, not as a recruit, as just a normal person, I got to live that experience, and then I got to go to a couple games as a recruit too. And um, you know, nothing really changed. That was the cool thing about it. No, no, no special treatment as a recruiter or anything. Um, you know, the game is still a game and football is still football. I'm curious what, uh, how much you were paying attention to Cole Komet in the draft this year. Did you, uh, were you surprised that he went early in the second round like he did? I was not surprised. Um, that's a very large human being. He's got great hands, great blocking. And, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I was really pumped for him when he uh, got drafted. I was, I was watching the whole thing, waiting for him to get drafted. And it's just really cool that he got uh, drafted from Chicago too. <laughs> I think your new tight ends coach, John McNulty, has involved a lot of alums, Anthony Fasano, Kyle Rudolph, and Zoom sessions. Have, yes, sir. I know Kevin Bauman, the fellow tight end signee, has been a part of that. Have you been able to be a part of that? And what, what kind of learning experience did you get talking yeah. to those guys? Yeah, we've uh, all the tight ends have been a part of it. It's, it's been a great kind of experience to learn from you know, awesome guys like that. Um, it was especially special. Um, for Kyle because he went to Elder and um, that's kind of 15, 20 minutes up the road for me. And um, he does a lot for that school. And, and I think both of those guys, um, the number one thing that stood out for me is, you know, off the football field, how, how great of guys they are. Um, Kyle does a lot for his community. Kyle does a lot for kind of everybody. And um, he's, he's a really good guy. And I think um, I aspire to be, um, you know, great people um, like both of them are and uh, just to be good for the community and, you know, donate money when they're, when money needs to be donated and things like that. Michael, I understand that you also played some defensive end in high school and were pretty good at it. Did you ever consider pursuing defensive end rather than tight end as a college position? Yeah, so um, sophomore year, I kind of had to make – it wasn't really that big of a decision, but it was like, uh, you know, what do I really want to focus on tight end? Do I really want to focus on defense? And 
I kind of chose tight end. And um, there was really only one uh, college that offered me for the end, and um, everyone else was tight end. So, yeah, I was, when the offer started pouring in and everyone kept saying tight end, I said, oh, well, I guess I'll just stick with tight end. So I uh, just started working on tight end. Michael, last one from me. Uh, it's my understanding that in, in your senior year at Covington Catholic, your coaches wouldn't let you go full goal in practice. They, they feared that if you tackled guys, you would injure them. If you ran through guys, you, you know, break their ribs or something. Uh, <laughs> what was it like handling that? And, I mean, does that just motivate you to, when the game comes on, just, you know, beat the crap out of guys? I mean, what, what kind of mentality yeah. will that kind of carry over to your freshman year, you think? Yeah, um, that happened, uh, you know, that was kind of happening junior, junior season also. Um, kind of a few kids were getting concussions. Uh, kid broke a rib and things like that. And uh, coach, my coach kind of pulled me in his office and he was like, like, we kind of need you to, like, calm down, like, no more hitting or anything. And senior year came around. And, uh, you know, obviously my last year playing high school football, I, I was going to take – I wasn't going to take practice lightly. I was going to take anything lightly. Um, and uh, sometimes I – let football get the best of me and uh, kind of took some kids down in, in practice. And uh, me and me and my coach got, he kind of got on me for it a lot. And I was like, this is football. Like I'm, I'm allowed to be tackling like all this stuff. And uh, it was kind of like a, a joke controversy a little bit, like about me not being able to hit and stuff like that. But um, I think it, it, it gave me the mentality um, that I knew what, what I was going to do in the game. I think my coach knew what I was going to do in the game and, I think he knew, um, you know, if he held me back a little bit in practice, then I'd, I'd still be fine for the game. But, uh, yeah, we, we still kind of joke about that today and probably will be for the rest of our lives. Um, I'll probably bring that up to him every time I see him. But it's really funny, yeah. Well, the good news is you won't have to worry about that at Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great, yeah, great news. All right, Michael, that's all we have for you. We appreciate you taking time to talk to us today, and uh, best of luck to you as you start your career at Notre Dame. Yes, sir, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Yeah. Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI, and Carter is at Carter Carls. First question I have for us, Carter, is from IrishFan10 at IrishFan102. Any word on how the team will did academically this semester – do you expect we will see more or less academic attrition this spring? Um, I'll kind of chime in here. I, I think I don't have an official word necessarily. Um, I think it's important to note that this spring students were allowed to take classes um, as passed, which is an A through a D or, or no credit um, with no impact on their GPA. So that would seem to indicate that it would be much easier to, to clear academic hurdles for the spring. And that was in reaction to the to classes being held off campus and, and uh, on through video and stuff like that. So, um, the, I so I would think there's probably less likely to be academic attrition than there is normally. Although I don't know, I wouldn't say that there's a lot annually. Anyways, um, we do know back when spring football started, um, actually on campus, that Isaiah Robertson was taking care of some of my academic stuff. Um, but I don't know what came of that. So that is something that we'll hopefully get an update on at some point. Um, and uh, we will see. I think there's a lot of uncertainty. I think. Um, we'll have to see how all this plays out, but I would think that Notre Dame should be safe, or at least when it comes to academics um, from this past semester. And, and I don't think everyone was thrilled about the pass-fail option because 
I think a lot of guys are trying to build up their GPA to a certain mark or they want it. Maybe if you're a freshman or sophomore, you're taking easier classes and that, that can kind of help you as, as a, you know, compared to your junior, senior year. I, I think they're, I don't know. That, that's interesting to me, the pass-fail thing. I, I get why they do it. but it was, it was optional. You didn't have to take it. So, you can – like, if you've got an A in a class, you can keep your A. You don't have to – Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was – it was my understanding was, like, at the end of the course, like, you would know what your grade was, and then they would let you determine what you wanted to do. So, like, if you said, oh, well, I got a C. I don't want that on my GPA, so I'll turn that into a pass, um, and it won't impact your GPA. That, at least that's how I understand it. I'm sure there's probably some layers to it that – I don't don't know for sure, but um, that's that's at least how I understood it. So I think it, it's it's not going to hurt guys that did well in classes and, and were able to um, help themselves um, and get them or get themselves starting off on the right foot. Uh, next question we have is from JMK at Jay Creef. How bad could things get for this recruiting class? No on-campus recruiting until August. Um, ND is about to be down to nine recruits, but have room for twenty. Based on what I read slash hear, we will need numerous upside, and these are in quotation marks, upside projects, developmental commits just to get to that number. Well, I predicted the class a week ago in a story, just kind of who, who the guys I'm most confident in, if the class in today, who would it be kind of, kind of thing. Um, it, yeah, there, there's a lot of questions out there. They're not – it's not like there are six guys that are on the verge of committing. It's just really hard when you don't have those campus visits. Um, also though, to fully blame COVID-19 on this, I mean, there were, there were some missteps before this too. Um, but if I was just to give a general outlook for the class, I still think it could be top 15, but top five's not happening. Top 10, I think it's questionable. I'm just not confident that that will happen. Uh, it's going to be a smaller class, so you're already at a disadvantage in that. They could take 17, 18, 19, 20 guys. So, you know, you're, look at last class. It ended up being ranked 23rd on, on 247, I believe. So it's not always going to be uh, great when you have lower numbers. But I, they still have a lot of talent there. I mean, to have Tyler Buckner, and that could be your best quarterback in a very long time, he alone is a gem of the class. How I would predict it, uh, just going position by position, I think if you're, they're going to get to four offensive linemen, so I think they'll add Rocco Spindler and probably another tackle like Tristan Bounds. Running back, that's the big question. No idea there. I think they have a better shot than most people think with Donovan Edwards, but they're offering more scholarships to running backs. Wide receiver, Lorenzo Styles will see if he, you know, sticks with his commitment. But I really like their chances with Jaden Thomas in Atlanta. Christian Lewis is probably the next guy from Alabama. Buckner and Barong, that's quarterback tight end. That's where I'm thinking. Defensive line, I mentioned before, uh, Jason Anye, Gabriel Rubio, and then probably a, a defensive end that they offer here in the coming days. Um, linebacker. I've got Prince Colley out of Tennessee. That's more of a process of elimination. There just are no other linebacker options, and they've done a really good job recruiting him so far. Um, and then DB, I think they'll get a total of five DBs. Uh, they already have Justin Walters, the safety, cornerback Philip Riley. 
I love their chances with Ryan Barnes, cornerback uh, safety out of Georgia, Caleb Edwards I like. And then that remaining spot, probably someone like Sierra Wright, Prophet Brown, or Titus Mikheo at Timalala out of Hawaii. So that gets you at about 18, 19 guys, top 15 ranking. I think that's attainable. Uh, but it just depends what your expectations were going in this. Uh, you know, if, if you heard the, saw the smoke and thought it was going to be a top five class, you're going to be disappointed. But if you think the sky is falling and it's going to be outside of a top 20 class, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, to, to me, uh, you know more about the specific recruits, so I'm not going to rebut any of your predict, predictions there or anything. But I think it's a – people – really took to heart Brian Kelly saying that he wants to recruit classes at a top five level. Um, but that never meant that like this next class is going to be a top five class. Maybe he had confidence that they could because it was off to such a good start, but um, it, it I, I don't think that it was going to, it's not going to just change overnight and they're going to be able to recruit a top five class when they've done that once in the 10 years he's been here. Um, I, I think that it's, it's just tough for Notre Dame to do that. And I think this, we, I mean, people don't want to give Notre Dame the benefit of the doubt that this coronavirus pandemic has really uh, held back what they were trying to do and, and really wreck some of their plans. And now, yes, that applies to everyone. Everyone's dealing with the same situation. But, we, ha- I mean, there has to be an understanding that Notre Dame is a different circumstance than a lot of schools and that it recruits from all over the place. And if they can't get kids to come onto campus, it's going to really um, handicap them. So I, I think that um, – Notre Dame sure was in on guys early on and then they didn't necessarily close on and they've had some misses. Um, but that happens every recruiting cycle. And that happens to teams that aren't Notre Dame. It happens to Clemson and Ohio State too. And you might not hear about it as much because you don't follow the recruiting as well. And they, they, they hit on a higher percentage than Notre Dame does. But I just think people bought into the hype a little bit too much that this was going to be a top five class when – Blake Fisher is out there uh, touting that we're going to get a big three and these are the guys that are going to be with me. That didn't mean that was going to happen or it was a shoe in Like there was work that needed to be done to get those offensive linemen in the class and it didn't necessarily pan out that way. Um, I think everyone was trashing Pat Coogan as soon as he got offered and like, what is Notre Dame doing? And then after that, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and LSU offer. So (laughs) Quinn doesn't know what he's doing uh, and neither do those other guys or maybe he actually knew what he was doing. And I think with a guy like Pat Coogan, yeah, maybe you wanted other recruits in this class ahead of him um, and you waited to offer him, but you have to also understand that Notre Dame knew that Pat Coogan is the kind of guy that if Notre Dame offers, he's probably coming to Notre Dame. So there's no hurry to rush into offering someone like that because if you want to save that spot for someone else that you maybe grade a little bit higher than him, then you have to wait and hold off and wait till you miss on those other guys before you move on to someone like a Pat Coogan. I think. Um, I think Pat Coogan's probably a better recruit than he's gotten credit for, and I'm interested to see if that changes throughout the rest of the recruiting cycle, if he receives a, a, a rankings boost or not. Um, but, yeah, I just think a lot of it has to do with people's expectations, and if they expect, expected things to be way better than they are, um, that that's, I think, impacted their view of this class too much. I think this, is, this isn't a bad class. It certainly has holes in it, and they still need to address those, but there's way too much time left. In, what is an unprecedented recruiting cycle um, to be panicking. I think a lot of commitments across the country aren't 
as firm as they normally would be because a lot of things are going to change when kids can start taking visits other places and this thing starts to feel back like normal. So I, I just think this is going to be a wild recruiting cycle um, and there's going to be lots of ups and downs and you just kind of have to strap in and not worry too much about what you hoped this class would be and kind of evaluate it on, okay, what is it? And am I really upset about these guys being in this class or not? I think I'm a little bit in the middle here where it's like, yeah, temper expectations and COVID-19 screwed up a lot of their plans. But also there are holes, like you mentioned, in their approach and, and just how it's all played out. Sure. Uh, you look at Landon Tangwall, who was in their big three offensive line. He visits in March of 2019. He leaves a visit saying that Notre Dame is his favorite school. He doesn't visit in the 2019 season for one game, whereas he's visiting a lot of other colleges. It, that was his last visit, and now he, he's planning to visit in March. But for him not to visit for an entire year, and he's your, one of your number one guys, I think that's a mistake. Caleb Johnson, another offensive lineman, he's got ties and is, is from, uh, from Indiana, uh, and, and they didn't decide to offer him until after his junior season. Why do you offer that guy so late when he's a four-star offensive lineman? With Will Shipley, they put all of their eggs in his basket. They, they stopped communicating with running backs as much, um, and once they lost and he, commit, he committed to Clemson, then they had to start all over almost and, and think, well, man, we probably should have been uh, reaching out and contacting these other guys. So, you know, you just you, – you have to offer guys earlier. You've got to get them on campus. You, you can't also – you know, the March 20th weekend, it's great to have guys on campus all at once, but you want to maximize your, you know, you want to maximize your opportunity. You want to have them as, on as many visits as possible. You want Landon Tangwall visiting in the fall for the season. You want him visiting in March. Um, and, and then when you're going after the top guys, you don't just go after Will Shipley. You go after Donovan Edwards. LJ Johnson, a new running back offer for him. He's got the grades. Why wasn't he offered two years ago or one year ago for that matter? Um, so there are holes, but – yeah, COVID-19 and expectations to expect this class to be top five. I just don't know about that. So it's somewhere in the middle there. Uh, no reason to hyperventilate, but also no reason to say that nothing has gone wrong. Yeah, I agree with you there. Notre Dame left itself too slim of a margin for something to go wrong. Um, and then it would really, I mean, like with Will Shipley, if they don't get him, then what the heck are they going to do at running back? Um, if they miss out on some offensive linemen because they didn't get them on campus enough, um, then it looks like they're scrambling for their offensive linemen. Um, so, I, yeah, I agree. There certainly are tweaks that Notre Dame needs to make and, and consider um, in its recruiting process. Um, it's just they had, they had a plan, and it sort of blew up in their face a little bit, um, and they have to figure out how to, to sort of recover from that. What is uh, or the next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. What do you think should be the next step for ND at running at recruiting running backs? Keep swinging for the fences, lower expectations. Other than Tyree, it's basically been one disaster after another. I wouldn't call it one disaster after <laughs> another. They only missed one guy. I mean, it's only Will Shipley. I, yeah, I think he meant like previous classes. He, he would consider okay. them disasters, but I don't. 
Right. Yeah, then I would understand that. Lance Taylor has proven himself to me that he is one of the best recruiters at Notre Dame. And what I like about him is he's not afraid of Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. He's going to go after the top guy that he feels like will be the best. Where he went wrong was only going after one guy. Uh, Donovan Edwards had already been to Notre Dame twice. Uh, he really liked the school. He's fairly nearby, lives in Michigan. Uh, Khaled Kareem is his mentor. So why do you stop recruiting that guy? I mean, they should be recruiting as many of the top guys as they can as they can. You know, obviously they can't recruit every guy because not everyone's a fit. Not everyone can get into them academically to the school, but everyone that should, um, should be offered as early as possible and you should be all over them. Um, LJ Johnson, again, the fact that he got offered this month, you know, I I just, that's someone who's the number two running back in the class. Um, And, They've offered guys their freshman year, uh, right after their freshman season. So they know you can offer guys early. There's no problem with it as long as they qualify everything. Uh, So, yeah, just going forward, don't be afraid of Clemson and Georgia because it's a numbers game. Look at just, you know, you offer 15 guys at your position, 10 guys at your position, you get – three to five of them on campus, and then hopefully get one of them. It's really just a percentages game. Obviously, you're going to miss out on those battles. You're going to have the Will Shipley heartbreaks. But for all of those, you're going to have the Chris Tyrese. They were battling like crazy against OU. He almost committed to OU in March of last year. Then Notre Dame really, really goes after him, and boom, uh, they land him. And and the key with that, too, you know, in, in his – previous uh under the previous regime Autry Denson he he wasn't really going after those big big time guys as much as Lance Taylor is um and he wasn't even in that much contact with Chris Tyree it was really more Chris uh Chip Long doing the legwork there Lance Taylor goes in and he immediately connects with them and and works real hard so for all the Will Shipleys you're gonna have the Chris Tyrees so just go after as many guys as you can and stay on them, you know, no matter what, what's happening, even if they commit somewhere. If you can stay on them, do it. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they shouldn't have handcuffed themselves by chasing just one person in Will Shipley. Um, it worked for Chris Tyree, but I don't think that's the – I mean, it didn't work. I mean, Chris Tyree didn't commit, at least to my knowledge, he didn't commit to Notre Dame. He's like, yeah, they're not recruiting any other running backs, so that's why I want to go to Notre Dame. I, I, that wasn't – that wasn't what won Chris Tyree over. Obviously he felt that he was a priority and that he could be um, really impactful at Notre Dame. But I don't think if they would have recruited another running back necessarily, that that would have swayed Chris Tyree. Now maybe you feel differently about that, but it certainly seems to be a mistake that to think that that it mattered to Will Shipley because he committed to a school that had another running back committed anyway. So it was, it seemed, it was, it seems clear in retrospect and probably even forecasting ahead that this wasn't necessarily the way that they should have gone um, with, with the running back recruiting. It's a two way street, you know, you're not the only school talking to them. Uh, They're talking with dozens of schools. So to expect a school to only talk to one guy is lunacy. Uh, You know, you need to be talking with 10 guys 
and it's not like they don't have the time. I mean, you're talking about a 10 minute conversation every day, or, you know, in some cases just once or twice a week. Um, and it also, you know, this also, I'm going to bring this up just so I mention it with linebacker recruiting, what's been puzzling there. They, they basically pass on Cody Simon in the 2020 class. They say, we're not going to sign a linebacker in that class. And they've had basically a cycle in advance to work on this 2021 class. And yet, here they are, and, and they're not getting visits from – or they hadn't really gotten many visits from top linebackers. Their recruiting board wasn't big. I understand they're probably only going to take one or two at the position in this class, but I felt like they handcuffed themselves there too by not getting on it early and identifying the guys and then making them feel like priorities. A lot of the linebackers they offered that I talked to said that Notre Dame hardly talks with them. Um, so I think Prince Colley, I, I think they get his commitment always forgiven. And I, I think Clark Lee knows what he's doing. So it probably won't be a huge deal. And they really like these four sophomores they've got from the 2019 class, but it's just a little weird when, when you see how much advance they had there and, and they kind of took their time. All right, next question we got from Brett Kovach at Brett Kovach. How many running backs does Notre Dame realistically have a shot with now? At this current moment in time, none. But <laughs> – but, Wow, what sunshine. Yeah, I know. But, but I truly believe, and I think I believe it more than, than others do, Donovan Edwards is someone they can land. And if they land him – I mean, he might be just as good, if not better, than Will Shipley. All would be forgiven. The key with Donovan Edwards is his plan as of now is to prolong his recruitment through potentially December. And if he does that, Notre Dame's got an incredible shot at landing him. Michigan and Georgia have recruited him the hardest. They're they're the two teams on his radar right now. But I think Notre Dame will be a real player. And the fact that he has visited them twice – it is is very good for them, um, and and so again, he's got ties to Notre Dame. Um, I, I just really like their chances if he continues to prolong his recruitment. I don't think he's going to be ending it this month, next month. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. There's there's been a lot of surprises, so we'll see. But I do think he prolongs it, and that will benefit Notre Dame. As far as the other guys on the board, L.J. Johnson, I mentioned him. I think he's staying in the South. There's reason to believe he'll still go to Texas A&M. Um, there's a few more guys that have gotten offers recently. You got Alton McCaskill out of Texas, Logan Diggs from Louisiana, and Tavier Dunlap, who just got offered today. He's from Texas. So those are three guys to watch. They're three-star recruits. Um, and so, you know, you'd like to think that Notre Dame would be a top school on their list. Um, and we'll see. It's just I don't know their exact timetables, and none of those guys have visited Notre Dame a whole ton, so you wouldn't think that they would be a lock to commit right now. So I think this is going to be a down-of-the-wire situation. I think they might offer one or two more guys. Um, Maybe the guy that commits is a guy who's not offered right now, but Donovan Edwards is the prize. If he commits, all forgiven, and uh, we'll, we'll see if he decides to prolong his recruitment. The next question from Adam Luce at ACO Luce. Um, he also asked about Donovan Edwards, but we've covered that. So he also asked, 
which recruit do you feel best about ending up in Notre Dame? Is there one that stands out above the rest that's not committed yet that you think will end up in Notre Dame? The two I like the most, I'll give you two, Ryan Barnes, cornerback, and Rocco Spindler, the interior offensive lineman, both guys that would fill positions of need at Notre Dame. I like Barnes more at this stage. I, I really like Spindler. And I just – I'm worried a little bit about what this pandemic has done with his timeline. He would have been committed to Notre Dame by now had none of this happened, I think, because I think he would have visited on the March 20th weekend. His first official visit would have gone to Notre Dame. Then I think he would have committed to Notre Dame in May. But now with this pandemic, it's given Michigan a lot of time to communicate with him and make him feel like a priority – uh, it's a Notre Dame versus Michigan battle there, and I still like Notre Dame. I'm just not as confident as I was in March. Ryan Barnes, Notre Dame's the clear lead there for me. Um, may not commit tomorrow or next week, but I just can't say enough good things about what Mike Mickens has done so far. But what Ryan Barnes relayed to me was Mike Mickens, you know, he's just starting to get to know him, and he's telling him things schematically that he had never heard before. He's just such an insightful, uh, smart, technical coach who not only knows what he's talking about, but can communicate it in a way that's digestible. You know, sometimes coaches will talk football and game, and it's so boring, or, you know, players are just kind of turned off by that because you, all you do is talk football. But he knows how to communicate his message well while also caring about these guys' families and personal lives. That's the message that's been relayed to me, and I think Barnes really likes his connection, not just with Mickens, but Clark Lee. So I think he's going to end up landing at Notre Dame, and I think that'd be a big catch for him. All right, next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. Since they just put up all the 2000 home games, the year 2000, how good of an option quarterback could Arnez Battle have been? I believe he was a huge recruit. Do you have much opinions on Arnez Battle, Carter? I was four years old when he was <laughs> in college, so I do not have a bunch of Arnez Battle's takes, but I'll let you take this one. Uh, I was 11, so I have uh, more of a sense of who Arnez Battle was for Notre Dame, but um, I wasn't locked in. Uh, it certainly didn't have the knowledge that I would have as someone that was covering it, so it's probably better a better Eric question, but – um, I would, I, I think he was certainly a good athlete. Um, I don't know if he was a good enough athlete that you would design your offense around. I don't know if that's what the question is. Like should have Notre Dame have run an option offense and put Arnest battle at quarterback. I, I don't know. I mean, certainly there are plenty of things that, that, um, weren't successful about Notre Dame at that around that time. But, um, I would, uh, I would have needed to have seen way more of Arnest battle, um, beyond watching some games here or there at that age then to, to feel really strongly one way or the other about that. Next question. Uh, and this is now into the very serious part of our podcast. Uh, the question is for moons at GA moons, please specify the ideal dinosaur to play each position on a baseball team. Man. These answers that are the NC dinos. You just put the NC dinos out there. You're, you're amazing. You're what? 17 and three now or something. We're just rolling through folks. My Korean baseball team. I wish I was into this Korean baseball stuff. I've, I watched the golf match the other day. I really enjoyed that. But Korean baseball, I, I applaud you guys for getting into it. But I just haven't found the <laughs> passion to get into it. But sure, yeah, the, 
the dinos. They, do they have a pretty cool mascot? Oh, they got loads of mascots. They got they got three or four that I've seen different dinosaurs. Um, the the most famous one is has been called Swole Daddy. He's a big guy with a long neck, and he's he's pretty jacked. Um, but they got a few other ones as well. But I did take this as serious as I possibly could take it and assign actual dinosaurs to baseball positions. Um, Putting some Raptors as my middle infielders. Um, I want a Stegosaurus at third base. Uh, I think the Stegosaurus can sort of block anything that's down the line, so let's put one over at third base. I'm going to put a Brontosaurus at first base, obviously tremendous reach with that long neck. Uh, A Triceratops at catcher, I think uh, a big bulking uh, catcher is what I'm looking for. Obviously, pterodactyls in the outfield. I mean, who's going to not track down a ball if it's? Uh, I mean, obviously, yeah. Um, and I, the pitcher was the toughest one. I went with the Brachiosaurus. Uh, obviously, a bit similar to the Brontosaurus. I figured maybe you can get some good whip on the pitches with either its long neck or its tail. So maybe teach you how to, how to pitch with the, t- the neck or a tail and bring some heat. So um, there is my serious dinosaur breakdown of baseball. Um, and I hope to hear many, many complaints about my my position assignments. You know who would be a terrible baseball dinosaur? A T-Rex. T-Rex, right, yeah. I, w- I mean, I think people are like, well, where are we going to put the T-Rex? Like, well, with those little arms, what are you going to do? I mean, unless you teach it to throw with its giant head. But um, I don't think a T-Rex would be a very good baseball player. So I have an idea. You, you have him as a pinch runner, and then he just falls down. <laughs> He's at second base. That's how he gets to the base. <laughs> He's so tall that he can just fall down onto the next base. Yeah, I don't know if we're playing dinosaur baseball. If we have to make a dinosaur scaled size baseball field, I'm not sure. We we need to, we would need to consult Moons on how this is how this would actually look. All right, and the last one, which I have no insight on, so I'm de- deferring to you on here, is from Brendan at Very Piratey. He is, he said no, he didn't even ask. Which come on, Brendan, at least ask us a question. Have some courtesy here. Mm-hmm. Assign each Dragon Ball Z arc a 2020 Notre Dame opponent, and he already looks like he did one for you. Western Michigan is Garlic Junior. <laughs> you know, I love this question because I love Dragon Ball Z, love anime, love uh, Avatar. I'm just starting to get on that. It's on Netflix. I've thought a total. I thought about this question for a total of five seconds. A lot of time devoted <laughs> to this question. I only picked two. Um, Wisconsin, I put Majin Buu because they're a tough team. Come again? It's Majin Buu, yeah. So it's this uh, pink, bubbly creature who you can't really, like, destroy because he regenerates his body. And so um, Wisconsin, I just think, you know, they're tough. They're hard to play against, I guess. I don't know. Okay, all right. All right, I'll, I'll buy it. Clemson. I was going to say, the other one better be Clemson. You better have a Clemson answer. I put Frieza, and the the reason why it's pretty funny. So, Clemson. We'll be the judge judge of that, Carter. Don't tell us it's fine before you tell it to us. I'm so hilarious, so y'all are going to love this. Clemson and Dabo Sweeney, you know, they've been so successful. But they have this weird thing that comes up every now and then where they feel like they're really disrespected. And they think that everyone's out against against them and, and doesn't think they're as good as they are. Maybe there's some truth to that with them playing in the ACC, but they just always feel like they're at, someone's out to get them and disrespected when they're really freaking good always. Um, Frieza is kind of like that. You know, he feels like he's disrespected and thinks that everyone's beneath them. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how good these comparisons are, but <laughs> I love Dragon Ball Z, and anytime I can compare it with football, which I also love, I'm going to do it. So I I, I've it. never gotten into Dragon Ball Z. I certainly have some friends that I probably could have asked them for some answers and um, been a fraud and kind of <laughs> lied my way through this, but I have I brought the passion for the dinos, and I figured I'd leave the Dragon Ball Z to you. So. Uh, that's it for this episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. We hope to get back to a more frequent podcast schedule as we creep toward football season. Um, if you, Hopefully this podcast doesn't sound terrible. Um, if, if you didn't like the way it sounds, certainly let us know. Hopefully it, it gets you by for the, for, for the time being, and we'll hope to try and uh, perfect that and make it as, as best as we can. We do it on Zoom today. and. Uh, eventually we'll be able to start doing these in, in person. But for now, this seems like our best bet. Until our next podcast, stick to ndinsider.com for all our Notre Dame sports coverage.